Chapters 1 through 5 of Laugh and Live. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Weiss. Laugh and Live by Douglas Fairbanks. Chapter 1 Whistle and Ho Sing as We Go. There is one thing in this good old world that is positively sure. Happiness is for all who strive to be happy, and those who laugh are happy. Everybody is eligible, you, me, the other fellow. Happiness is fundamentally a state of mind, not a state of body, and mind controls. Indeed, it is possible to stand with one foot on the inevitable banana peel of life with both eyes peering into the great beyond, and still be happy, comfortable, and serene, if we will even so much as smile. It's all a state of mind, I tell you, and I'm sure of what I say. That's why I have taken up my fountain pen. I want to talk to my friends, you hosts of people who have written to me for my recipe. In moving pictures all I can do is act my part and grin for you. What I say is a matter of your own inference, but with my pen I have a means of getting around the silent drama which prevents us from organizing a close-up with one another. In starting I'm going to ask you foolish question number one. Do you ever laugh? I mean, do you ever laugh right out, spontaneously, just as if the police weren't listening with drawn clubs and a finger on the button connecting with the hurry-up wagon? Well. If you don't, you should. Start off the morning with a laugh and you needn't worry about the rest of the day. I like to laugh. It is a tonic. It braces me up, makes me feel fine, and keeps me in prime mental condition. Laughter is a physiological necessity. The nerve system requires it. The deep, forceful chest movement in itself sets the blood to racing thereby livening up the circulation, which is good for us. Perhaps you hadn't thought of that. Perhaps you didn't realize that laughing automatically reoxygenates the blood, your blood, and keeps it red. It does all of that, and besides, it relieves the tension from your brain. Laughter is more or less a habit. To some it comes only with practice. But what's to hinder practicing? Laugh and live long. If you had a thought of dying, laugh and grow well. If you're sick and despondent, laugh and grow fat. If your tendency is towards the lean and cadaverous, laugh and succeed. If you're glum and unlucky, laugh and nothing can faze you, not even the grim reaper, for the man who has laughed his way through life has nothing to fear of the future. His conscience is clear. Wherein lies this magic of laughter? For magic it is, a something that manufactures a state of felicity out of any condition we've got to admit its charm. Automatically and inevitably a laugh cheers us up. If we are bored, nothing to do, just laugh. That's something to do, for laughter is synonymous with action, and action dispels gloom, care, trouble, worry, and all else of the same ilk. Real laughter is spontaneous. Like water from the spring it bubbles forth a creation of mingled action and spontaneity two magic potions in themselves, 
the very essence of laughter, the unrestrained emotion within us. So for me it is to laugh. Why not stick along? The experiment won't hurt you. All we need is willpower, and that is a personal matter for each individual to seek and acquire for himself. Many of us already possess it, but many of us do not. Take the average man on the street, for example. Watch him go plodding along, no spring, no elasticity, no vim. He is in check-rein. How can he laugh when his pep is all gone and the sand in his craw isn't there any more? What he needs is spirit, energy, the power to force himself into action. For him there is no hope unless he will take up physical training in some form that will put him in normal physical condition. After that everything simplifies itself. The brain responds to the new blood in circulation, and thus the mental processes are ready to make a fight against the inertia of stagnation which has held them in bondage. And mind you, physical training doesn't necessarily mean going to an expert for advice. One doesn't have to make a mountain out of a molehill. Get out in the fresh air and walk briskly, and don't forget to wear a smile while you're at it. Don't overdo. Take it easy at first, and build on your effort day by day, a little this morning, a little more tonight. The first chance you have, when you're sure of your wind and heart, get out upon the country road or cross-country hill and dale. Then run, 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 until you drop exhausted upon some grassy bank. Then laugh loud and long, for you're on the road to happiness. Try it now. Don't wait. Today is the day to begin. Or, if it is night when you run across these lines, drop this book and trot yourself around the block a few times. Then come back and you'll enjoy it more than you would otherwise. Activity makes for happiness as nothing else will, and once you stir your blood into little bubbles of energy you will begin to think of other means of keeping your bodily house in order. Unless you make a first effort, the chances are you will do very little real thinking of any kind. We need pep to think. Think what an opportunity we missed when stripped at night if we fail to give our bodies a round of exercise. It is so simple, so easy, and has so much to do with our sleep each night and our work next day that to neglect to do so is a crime against nature. And laugh! Man alive, if you are not in the habit of laughing, get the habit. Never miss a chance to laugh aloud. Smiling is better than nothing, and a chuckle is better still, but out-and-out out laughter is the real thing. Try it now if you dare, and when you've done it, analyze your feelings. I make this prediction. If you once start the habit of exercise, and couple with it the habit of laughter, even if only for one short week, you'll keep it up ever afterwards. And by the way, friend reader, don't be alarmed. The personal pronouns I and you give place in succeeding chapters to the more congenial editorial we. I couldn't resist the temptation to enjoy one brief spell of intimacy just for the sake of good acquaintance. Have a laugh on me. End of chapter one. Chapter two. Taking stock of ourselves. Experience is the real teacher but the matter of how we are going to succeed in life should not be left to ordinary chance while we are waiting for things to happen. Our first duty is to prepare ourselves against untoward experiences, 
and that is best done by taking stock of our mental and physical assets at the very outset of our journey. What weaknesses we possess are excess baggage, to be thrown away, and that is our reason for taking stock so early. It is likely to save us from riding to a fall. There is one thing we don't want along, fear. We will never get anywhere with that, nor with any of its uncles, aunts, or cousins. Envy, malice, and greed. In justice to our own best interests, we should search every crook and cranny of our hearts and minds lest we venture forth with any such impedimenta. There is no excuse, and we have no one to blame if we allow any of them to journey along with us. We know whether they are there or not, just as we would know courage, trust, and honor were they perched behind us on the saddle. It is idle to squeal if, through association with the former, we find ourselves ditched before we are well under way, for it is coming to us sooner or later. We might go far, as some have done, through the lanes and alleys of ill-gotten gains and luxurious self-indulgence, but we would pay in the end. So why not charge them up to profit and loss at the start and kick them off into the gutter where they belong? They are not for us on our eventful journey through life, and the time to get rid of them once and for all is when we are young and mentally and physically vigorous. Later on, when the fires burn low, and we still have them with us, they will be hard to push aside. To thine own self be true, says the great Shakespeare, and how can we be true to our own selves if we train with inferiors? We are known by our companionships. We will be rated according to association, good or bad. The two will not mix for long, and we will be one sort of a fellow or the other. We can't be both. There was a time long years ago, in the days of our grandfathers, when men went to the bow-wows, and later on came back, as it were, by making a partial success in life, measured largely by the money they succeeded in accumulating. That was before the check-up system was invented. Today things are different. Questions are asked. Where were you last? Why did you leave there? Have you credentials? And when we shake our weary head and walk away, we fondly wish we had taken stock back there when the taking was good. To thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day thou canst not then be false to any man. When we analyze ourselves and find that we are living up to the quoted lines above, we may safely lift the limit from our aspirations. Right here it is well to say that success is not to be computed in dollars and cents, nor that the will to achieve a successful life is to be predicated upon the mere accumulation of wealth. First of all, good health and good minds. Then we may laugh long and loud. We're safe on first. So, with these two weapons we may dig down into our aspirations, and, keeping in view that our policy is that of honesty to ourselves and toward our fellow man, all we need to do is to go about the program of life cheerfully and stout of heart, for now we are in a state of preparedness. We are at the point where vision starts. Along with this vision must come the courage of convictions in order that we may feel that our ideas are important, and because we have such thoughts we shall surely succeed. It has often been noticed that when we have had a large conception 
and have with forced character and strength of will carried it into effect, immediately thereafter a host of people have been able to say, I thought of that myself. Most of us have had the same experience after reading of a great discovery that we had thrown overboard because it must not have been worthwhile, or someone else would already have thought of it. The man who puts life into an idea is acclaimed a genius because he does the right thing at the right time. Therein lies the difference between the genius and a commonplace man. We all have ambitions, but only the few achieve. A man thinks of a good thing and says, Now, if I only had the money, I'd put that through. The word if was a dent in his courage. With character fully established, his plan well thought out, he had only to go to those in command of capital, and it would have been forthcoming. He had something that capital would cheerfully get behind if he had the courage to back up his claims. To fail was nothing less than moral cowardice. The will to do had not been efficient. There was a flaw in the character, after all. Going back, therefore, to the prescription, we find that a sound body, a good mind, an honest purpose, and a lack of fear are the essential elements of success. So, when we have conceived something for the good of the world, and have allowed it to go by default, we have dropped the monkey-wrench into the machinery of our preparedness. We must look about us for a reason. Have we fallen by the wayside of carelessness? Have we allowed ourselves to be discouraged by cowardly ifs? Did we lack the sand? Exactly so. We didn't have the courage of our convictions. Life is the one great experience, and those who fail to win, if sound of body, can safely lay the blame to their lack of mental equipment. What does it matter if disappointments follow one after the other if we can laugh and try again? Failures must come to all of us in some degree, but we may rise from our failures and win back our losses if we are only shrewd enough to realize that good health, sound mind, and a cheerful spirit are necessary adjuncts. As Tennyson says, I held the truth with him who sings, to one clear harp in divers tones, that men may rise on stepping-stones of their dead selves to higher things. All truly great men have been healthy, otherwise they would have fallen short of the mark. Prisons are filled with nervous, diseased creatures. There is no doubt but that most of these who, through ignorance, sifted through to the bottomless pits could have saved themselves had they realized the truth and taken stock of themselves in time, of course allowing for those who are victims of circumstantial evidence. The prime necessity of life is health. With this, for mankind, nothing is impossible. But if we do not make use of this good health, it will waste itself away and never come back. It often disappears entirely for lack of interest on the part of its thoughtless owner. A little energy would have saved the day. A little pep, and we laugh and live. Laughter clings to good health as naturally as the needle clings to the magnet. It is the outward expression of an unburdened soul. It bubbles forth as a fountain, always refreshing, always wholesome and sweet. In taking stock of ourselves we should not forget that fear plays a large part in the drama of failure. That is the first thing to be dropped. 
Fear is a mental deficiency susceptible of correction if taken in hand before it gains an ascendancy over us. Fear comes with the thought of failure. Everything we think about should have the possibility of success in it if we are going to build up courage. We should get into the habit of reading inspirational books, looking at inspirational pictures, hearing inspirational music, associating with inspirational friends, and above all, we should cultivate the habit of mind of thinking clean and of doing wholesome things. Guard thyself. That is the slogan. Let us take stock often and see where we stand. We will not be afraid of the weak points. We will get after them and get hold of ourselves at the same time. Some book might give us help. A fine play or some form of athletics will start us to thinking. Self-analysis teaches us to see ourselves in a true light without embellishments or undue optimism. We can gauge our chances in no better way. If we grope in the darkness, we haven't much of a chance. Taking stock throws a searchlight on the dark spots and points the way out of the danger zone. End of Chapter 2 Chapter 3 Advantages of an Early Start it is the young man who has the best chance of winning. Then why shouldn't youthfulness be made a permanent asset? We have recovered from the idea of putting a man into a sanatorium just because a few gray hairs showed themselves in his head. We should not ask him how old he is. We should ask, what can he do? The young man may have the advantage of years, but the older one has the advantage of experience and knowledge. Now, if this older man could carry along with him that spirit of youth which actuated his earlier activities, he would be prepared against incapacity. Our fate hangs on how we conduct ourselves in youth. The world has great need of the sober, thoughtful men above the fifty line. By right of experience and knowledge they should become our leaders in the shaping of our policies. It is all a matter of how a man comes through mentally physically and spiritually. Age should not count against him. The first thought is to keep healthy. In fact, we cannot harp on this too much. The second requirement is confidence in ourselves, without which our career is short-lived. Already we perceive that one must keep track of his inner self. This breeds confidence. The very fact that one stops to probe into that hidden land of thought shows that he is keeping tab on himself with a sharp eye. That's the stuff. We mustn't fool ourselves. The majority of failures come as a result of not being able to trust oneself. The moment we doubt or acknowledge that we cannot conquer a weakness, then we begin to go downhill. It is a subtle process. We hardly realize it at the time, but as the days go by, the years roll on, the final day of reckoning draws near, and relentlessly we are swept along as driftwood toward the lonely beaches of obscurity, and all because we lacked self-confidence. We did not realize it until it was too late. We were too busy with self-indulgence to struggle for success. Most of our troubles in later life started with failure to take hold of ourselves when we were young. It may be that we put off making our choice of something to do. If we had been companionable to ourselves 
we might have thought out the proper course while taking long walks in pursuit of physical development. That would have been a fine time in which to fight out the whole problem, the time when optimism and the will to do are as natural as the laughter of a child or the song of a bird. That was the time when the world appeared roseate and beautiful, when success lay just beyond the turn of the road, when failure seemed something illusory and improbable. Then was the time to jump in with both feet and a big hearty laugh to solve the problem of what to do and how to go about it. It is surprising how readily the world follows the individual with confidence. It is willing to believe in him, to furnish funds, to assist in any way within its power. And that is where the man with a smile is sure to win, for the man who smiles has confidence in himself. So long as we carry along with us our atmosphere of hearty goodwill and enthusiasm we know no defeat. The man who is gloomy, taciturn, and lives in a world of doubt seldom achieves more than a bare living. There have been a few who have grown their way through a confidence, but in proportion to that overwhelming number of souls who carry cheer through life they are as nothing, mere drops in the bucket. If the truth were told, their success came probably through mere chance and nothing else. Such people are not the ones for us to endeavor to follow. We cannot afford to allow our visions to sour. Beginning early takes away timidity and builds for success while we are young enough to enjoy the benefits. Although it is never too late to start a cheerful life, we don't have to kill ourselves in the attempt. There is no necessity for throwing all caution to the winds, but we should press our advantages. With self-analysis comes a certain poise, a certain dignity, and kindliness that tempers every move with precision. Once we get to the proper start, we have only to take stock now and then in order to keep our machinery in a fine state of repair. If we have chosen wisely, we love our work and stick to it closely not forgetting the home duties and our share in its success. Right here we run up against the danger signal if our business success wins us away from the hearthstone. Love of home is a quality of the workers of the earth. What doth it profit a man to win the whole world if he loseth his own soul? To sum up the case, once we have made up our minds to win and how we are going to do it, the next step is to act. Health is synonymous with action. The healthy man does things. The unhealthy man hesitates. And when we get ready to act, we will act with the air of a conqueror. We must supply from our own store our atmosphere of confidence in order to win confidence. The successful man is the one who knows he is right and makes us realize it. It is always worthwhile to study the successes among our acquaintances. Are they gloomy, morose, and irritable? If they were to that extent, they would not be successful. On the contrary, they are robust, confident individuals who have taken advantage of every rightful opportunity and possessed the power to smile when all about them were in the dumps. When everyone else thought that there wasn't a chance to win, these fellows stepped in and took charge. When we interview the failures, we find that all of them give one excuse. I didn't have the confidence. 
They might not say it in exactly these words, but the meaning is plain. They ran through the whole gamut of self-distrust which is the natural result of not having started early in the study of self, the serious realization of their own capabilities. This makes it easy to understand their plight. If we know ourselves we are strengthened that much because we can bolster up our weaknesses. We will know enough to combat timidity. We can then know what we are capable of and thus become conscious of our innate powers that only need to be called into action in order to become useful. We cannot imagine for an instant a great violinist going out on the concert platform in ignorance of the condition of his instrument. And yet failures go out on the stage of life knowing nothing of their strengths and weaknesses, and still expect to win. If we are to become successes we must keep success in mind, banish all thought of losing. Success is just as natural as anything else. It is only a matter of the mind anyhow. We are all successes as long as we continue to think so. Self-depreciation is a disease. Once it gets hold on us, goodbye. And that is why it is wise to begin early, to take hold of affairs while we are young. Superiority over our fellow man comes from a superiority of mind and body. A healthy mind breeds a healthy body. The most superficial study will convince us of this fact. Appearance counts for much in this world. We judge largely by appearances. We haven't time to know everyone we meet intimately and as a result must base our opinions upon first impressions. The fellow who comes in an office with his head hanging down between his shoulders and a frown upon his face doesn't get far with us. We find ourselves looking over his sagging shoulders toward the individual behind him, who comes in with a swinging step and the confidence born of health and good spirits. Self-confidence in youth makes for self-confidence in after years. This is far from meaning that one can be brazen and inclined towards freshness and get away with it. It merely means the marshalling of one's forces, the command of one's self, and the ability to make others recognize that we are on the map because we belong there. And one of the quickest ways to accomplish this is to have a smile tucked away for instant use. Again, this does not mean that we are to carry round a ready-to-wear grin, which we wear only as we are ushered into the presence of another. A real smile or a hearty laugh is not to be counterfeited. We easily know the genuine from the spurious. A real laugh springs naturally out of a pure, unadulterated confidence and a good physical condition. What triumphs, what splendid battles have been won through the ability to laugh? at the right moment. Whenever we find that we are losing our ability to smile, let's have no false notions. We are neglecting our physical well-being. Let us then and there drop the somber thoughts and get out into the open air, run down the street and, if possible, out into the country. If we see a tree and have the inclination to climb it, well, then climb it. If we are sensitive about what our neighbors might say, too bad. But we can romp with easy grace. If we but knew how gladly our neighbors would emulate our gymnastics, if they knew the value of them, the laugh would be on us for dreading their opinion. 
one thing we do know they will envy us our good health and spirits end of chapter three chapter four profiting by experience experience comes by contact there is no way we can have experiences without passing directly through them if we are up and doing they come thick and fast into our lives some of them weighted down by the peculiar twists and turns of circumstances others simple easily understood and still others complicated to the point of not being understood at all people are divided into two classes those who profit by experience and those who do not the unfortunate part of it all is that the latter class is by far the larger of the two the man of vigorous purpose fine constitution and the full knowledge of self sees through an experience as clearly as through a window the glass may be foggy but he knows what lies beyond self-reliant and strong he seeks knowledge through experience while the weak man the unhealthy-minded the inefficient stands aside and gives him the right away in later years however they bitterly complained that they were not given the same chance to succeed the man of experience having long since passed through the stages of indecision has through careful self-analysis learned to bridge difficulties that would make others tremble with fear he knows that every lane has a turning he may not see it at the moment he may not know where it is but that doesn't worry him he picks up his bundle and trudges ahead confident that victory awaits him somewhere along the line the fact that he believes in himself sets him apart from ordinary mankind many great men have been at a loss to understand why they attain success it is well-nigh impossible for them to outline the causes that led them to the top rungs of the ladder the reason is that their lack of fear of experiences was an unconscious one rather than a conscious one however they are willing to admit that acting on the principle of profiting by experience loaned them initiative with which to proceed they soon came to know opportunity at sight and had only to look around to find it the young man standing on the threshold of life is from lack of experience puzzled over the future he looks above him and sees the towering successes he reads in the papers of the massive characters who have risen from the bottom to the top naturally he would like to meet one of these giants of success and hear what he has to say the interview is quite needless yet busy and profit by experience is about all the advice one man can give to another there is no way to profit by experience until we have had experience so there is nothing to do but get busy and experience will come as fast as we can absorb it our duty is to strive for success and not expect to attain it except by successive steps a wholesome consignment would be our undoing quick successes through luck or good fortune have not the lasting value of those won by virtue of knowing how of accomplishing what we started out to do faith in oneself does not come from the outside it must spring up naturally from within a healthy body and a sane mind are the best foundations for this the young man who begins his career with these facts in mind 
is given a running start over his competitors. Poverty and failure are the result of an ignorance of the value of experience. Worry, anxiety, fear of not doing the right thing, lack of insight into character. These, too, are the result of a lack of experience. Good health is necessary to experience, but a majority neglect to take care of it. If we are to profit by what we learn, we must have the vim with which to push forward. We must have every ounce of vitality we possess at command, ready for use. This we conserve for the big emergency which we know is coming. New experiences are pushing us forward, and previous experiences are helping to move the load. Experience tells us what to do at this point and that, and at last puts its shoulder to the wheel and over she goes. Every mind is in possession of an enormous amount of dormant power, and only experience can release it into proper action. We often hear a fond mother say that her son is full to bursting with the old nick, which means that the youngster is overflowing with pent-up energy. With experience he could find good use for it, but without it this surplus may turn out to be a dangerous possession. Young men of this type should be guarded most carefully and advised to get busy early in life at something worthwhile. Many a bright fellow, brimming with excess power, has gone as a lamb to the slaughter into the maelstrom of vice because of being held back for legitimate occupation. He just had to blow off steam, so he did it in a gin mill rather than a rolling mill. This dynamo, called the mine, can be trained to do anything. Not only can it be guided at the start, but it can be guided by all that follows. It can be used for building additional dynamos to be called into action in times of need. This statement may seem at first far-fetched. If we think so, it is proof that we have not profited by our experiences and should get down to stock-taking before it is too late. The practical man, after all, is only one who takes advantage of opportunities. He could double and triple his power if he only realized how superficial the average setback really is. The young man has just as much chance of being considered practical as the so-called older one, always provided that he has a store of experiences to profit by. The first big experience of life usually makes or breaks us. For this experience we need to be prepared. We must have a strong heart that we may bear defeat nobly from this not to be our last kick, our last breath, not by a jugful. We are going to start all over again after our setback, and we are not going to wait any longer than it takes to bury the dead. This will be done decently and in good order. Our training will admit of no indecorum. If the smash was a bad one, we will assume the liability nevertheless and get back on the job. We are out to win, and eventually we will win. And that is what we mean by taking profit from experience. The powers that break down are also the powers that build up. The electrician who handles the motor could just as well end his own existence by that mysterious current as he could make use of it for the good of humanity. He spends years of conscientious study and masters of the knowledge of it so that its uses are as simple as his ABCs. There is no doubt in the world but that he had to learn by experience. He had to go into the shop, 
and climb up from the bottom. There was no other way by which he could come to know how to turn a deadly force into a well-trained necessity. Yet the average man goes into life with as little knowledge of its forces as the baby who puts its foot upon the third rail. That fact keeps the thoughtless man down until experience comes to the rescue. When it does come, if he has the sand, the common sense, the will to do, there is naught to hold him away from his goal. End of chapter 4 Chapter 5 Energy, Success, and Laughter There are many essentials to success, but there is one that is of such importance that without it all the others become as naught. The man who wins success is invariably impelled to do the great work allotted him by something within that tells him he can. He may not know exactly what it is, but he knows he possesses it and is able to act on that faith accomplishing things which seem utterly impossible to other people. This inner determination, once firmly implanted in one's nature, cannot be destroyed or conquered, and this element is energy energy of mind which rules the body. But where does this come from? How do the great minds generate this glorious means of self-propulsion? The answer is that, in a healthy body, it is inherent from birth, and proper care of the body therefore accentuates within their minds the will to do. If the preceding chapters have been carefully read, we may readily believe that the successful youth must start with a wholesome, generous viewpoint, a good constitution, and a clean mind. We have had an inkling by this time of what one must do to achieve success in a world where competition is keen. We are beginning to realize that these matters are of vital importance and that we are face to face with the problem. Energy is the natural outpouring of a healthy body. It must be directed, it must be controlled the same as any other living force. Not only is it a positive necessity to the winner, but it must grow and become a natural quality. It does not stand after years of abuse. It does not spring up in the night after a long season of neglect and ill health. All of us possess it in varying ways. That fact ought to convince us that we can get hold of ourselves and build up that which nature has given us rather than allow it to die away. We all have a certain amount of energy. Why shouldn't we all be successes? We might to a certain extent, but that doesn't mean that we shall all get rich in the money sense of the world. When we say, why shouldn't we all be successes, we do not mean that everybody in the world must be greedy for money, nor for power and position. It does not mean that we should be selfish and eager to take everything away from the other fellow. On the contrary, it means that, with energy, we shall be successful according to our brain tendency. Going back to our second chapter, we find the phrase taking stock of ourselves. Done rightly, that alone will inspire success. Now, if we are a little farther along on the way towards sane living, and the ability to laugh, and we know that after this struggle is over the battle is won, we must use the powers that self-analysis gives us to fight. 
the mere recognition of them is power, and we must not let them go to waste. Energy is like steam. It cannot be generated under the boiling point. In other words, half-heartedness never produced it nor made it a practical working tool. We must be energetic in order to augment energy. We must have confidence along with it, the more the merrier. The greater the confidence in ourselves, the greater the energy which brought it about. Some minds naturally feel confident. These are the lucky ones, the slender few who have grasped life's meaning at the start by taking stock before they were threatened with defeat. Success comes to them as easily as rolling off the proverbial log. They come sweeping along, conquering, sure of themselves, confident, aspiring, true to their inner selves, ready for work, unafraid of experiences, and sure of a smile when the clouds are darkest. This does not mean that these successes have exceptional ability. If that were the case, we would not waste time either in reading or writing about the matter. If we didn't feel that we were potentially able to become successes and possess the elements of victory in our present make-up, not another moment would be spent on the subject. The very simplicity of this use of energy proves to us that it is a quality bubbling forth in the least of us and the strongest. It only needs to be put to work, and it becomes self-strengthening. Living in the open air, sleeping out of doors, taking the proper exercise, looking wholesomely upon life, believing in ourselves, are all parts of the sane existence which leads to success and laughter. We ought to feel that everything in life possesses elements akin to human feeling. We should not arrogate to ourselves the sole right to rule and reason. And what has this to do with energy? It is only one of the many vistas that open to us when we learn how to laugh and live. And man alive, if we never learn to laugh, we will never learn to live. We must not forget that there can be more than one use made of energy. In the same way that electricity might be misused, so might energy be placed in the wrong service. We must not waste any time, therefore, in getting this energy of ours worked into enthusiasm, enthusiasm for our life work, for our fellow man, for the zest of life. We must throw ourselves into the battle and carry the standard. We must leap to the front, not waiting for the other fellow to show the way. Spend your enthusiasm freely and be surprised at how it thrives on usage. Enthusiasm being produced by energy must of a necessity depend largely upon that. Now the point is, how shall we guard and keep fresh this element in ourselves? We know that the body is producing this quality. Like the steam engine, we are keeping the fires going by exercise, wholesome thinking, and sincerity of purpose. We are the engineers. Our hand is on the throttle. Sharp turns lie ahead, but our eyes look forward fearlessly. We glance about us to see that we are in the pink of condition. We know that our mind is functioning properly and that the awakened confidence is already inherent in our natures and stands beside us night and day like the officer upon the bridge of a ship. Indeed we are on our way." out of energy and enthusiasm comes something else that must not be neglected. In fact, it must be cultivated and guarded from the very beginning. 
laughter. The mere possession of energy and enthusiasm makes us feel like laughing. We want to leap and jump and dance and sing. If we feel like that, don't let us be afraid to do it. Get out in the air and run like a schoolboy. Jump ditches, vault fences, swing the arms. Never fail to get next to nature when responsive to the call. Indeed, we may woo this call from within ourselves until it comes to be second nature. And when we rise in the morning, let us be determined that we will start the day with a hearty laugh anyhow. Laugh because you are alive. Laugh with everything. Let yourself go. That is the secret, the ability to let oneself go. If we follow this religiously, we will be surprised how successful the day will be. Everything gives way before it. End of chapter 5. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com.